the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Lord has blessed you financially, don't think that money is a bad thing. Just always see yourselves, whether you make a lot of money or whether you make a little money, it's all from the hand of God. And we are all supposed to be funnels in a good, generous way. And the, the thing that will break the back of materialism and greed in your life, in my life, is generosity. A clenched fist with God is never anything that honors Him. An open hand always honors God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. Be a person who aspires toward generosity. Be willing to give even when it hurts or is inconvenient. Do this and you'll surely build many riches in the kingdom of heaven. Pastor Gary encourages you today to be generous and warns you against placing money as your idol. All the things that you have were given to you by God. This being the case, you should be seeking out His desires for the things that He has placed in your care. Ask Him to show you what He wishes for you to do with the gifts and talents that He has placed in your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you were to encounter a stranger, and you don't know him that well, you don't know so it's like, you better be nice to all people because you don't know one of them might be an angel. And this is, this is one of these things that are fascinating about angels. Now, a few quick points about angels. They're somewhat mystical, but they are not mythical. They are real. They are mentioned more than 300 times in the Bible. Sometimes they are messengers. Sometimes they appear in Scripture as warriors. Most worship God, but some don't. Those who didn't rebelled against God, they're known today as demons, fallen angels. Sometimes they have appeared to people in splendor, and sometimes as just a regular-looking person. The word angel comes from the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. We have a city named, you know, the city of angels, Los Angelos. It just means messenger. Angels are ministering spirits. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. The book of Hebrews began by talking about angels as ministering spirits sent to attend the saints. We have a mention of guardian angels. 
Jesus mentions in Matthew 18.10, see that you do not look down on one of these little children. He's talking about the children. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. It seems that there are angels on assignment to us. And I want to just always say this in discussion about angels. We are not to worship them or venerate them or idolize them. But we can, we can thank God for them, that he dispatches them on our behalf. Now, I have one angel story. I've shared this several times here at Cornerstone, but for those who have never heard my angel story, let me hear you. Oh, a lot of you haven't. It's time to say it again. All right. I'll make it real brief because I've got to get through the rest of the chapter in 20 minutes. So I think this was an encounter with an angel who took on human appearance, but I won't know until I guess one day when I'm with the Lord. But probably now it's been 15 years or more ago, I was making a pastoral visit to Children's Hospital down in Washington, D.C. And um, there was a little girl there who was uh, very sick. And so 15 years ago or so, I, I you know, just had the old flip phone, right? And not, you know, didn't have you know, Google Maps and stuff or Waze. And so, um, so I'm you know, just trying to find my way down to Children's Hospital. And because I'm a man, I don't stop and ask for directions. Um, it, you know, ladies, that's just the way we are. And, um, and I got terribly lost. I'm in downtown D.C. and not the best part of downtown D.C. And I'm lost as lost can be. And I see an elderly African-American gentleman standing on the curb in this neighborhood where I was driving, all dressed to the nines. Looked really sharp with a sport coat on and a fedora. And he had a cane around, you know, hanging off his arm, just standing like this, just on the curb. And nobody else around him. Nobody. I didn't see another soul. And so I pulled my car up next to him, rolled down my window. I said, sir, I'm lost. And he put both his hands, because I had my arm on the windowsill of the car with the window rolled down. He put both his hands on my arm and said, I've been waiting for you. That's kind of freaky. Yeah, that's the kind of reaction I had too. I said, he's just being extra friendly, you know. And he said, I've been waiting for you. I said, okay. And I said, I'm lost. He goes, I know you are. And I said, I, I'm looking for Children's Hospital. I'm going to tell you exactly how to get there. Listen very carefully. I said, all right. You go down here, and he gave me the directions. You go to take a left, you go down to the right. And, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember because I'm in awe of this moment. Like, this seems like really, like, you really have been waiting for me. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And he tipped his hat to me, and he stepped back up on the curb. And I left, and I looked in my rearview mirror. I probably had not driven 30, maybe 40 feet, and he was gone. And I, I even stopped my car, put it, put it in park, got out of my car, and looked. That man was gone. And so I felt like it was just one of those moments where there was just an angel dispatch to help give me directions to Children's Hospital. Now, maybe it was just a very fine gentleman that I happened to encounter in downtown D.C. I don't know, but I can tell you this much. I made it safely to Children's Hospital, and I've never forgotten that story, and I share it with you as a possibility. And maybe you have an angel story, too. I'm just telling you, it's possible that when we entertain strangers, you just might be entertaining somebody you think is a stranger, but they actually may very well be an angel. The third point here is another exhortation. Remember those in prisons. Now, in the context, he's probably talking about people who have been in prison for the sake of the gospel. Be that as it may, this is a good exhortation for us to remember people in prison in general. Because people who are serving time 
Man, they just need encouragement. And some of you who, you know, have ministry, and uh, like, like prison fellowship ministry, great ministry right here in our own backyard here headquartered. And what a great ministry, just, you know, reaching family members of inmates and reaching inmates themselves in prison. We need to remember those who are in prison. Look at verse, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then verse 8, great verse, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So three more exhortations here on this list. He says, honor marriage, keep sex sacred. Number five, he says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And number six, he said, remember your leaders who spoke God's word. So the first one is honor marriage. I could probably make a whole teaching just out of this point because, man, we're living in a time when marriage has been dishonored at least the way God intended it, at least the way God designed it. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean that everybody should be married. It simply means that marriage should be honored as a sacred institution that God has implemented and designed. But tragically, because of the direction that our country has taken, and not just ours, many others around the world, when our courts have redefined marriage as it is done, it, did, it dishonors what God has deemed as sacred. And when we mess with what God has defined as sacred and we dishonor something, it does not bode well for us. And we as a country should continue to cry out for the mercy of God because we've messed with the institution of marriage. I don't mean we, we, but our culture has in redefining what marriage is all about. The writer of Hebrews here, the Bible says, God inspires his word to remind us that marriage is to be honored by all, as between one man and one woman, as a sacred bond, not to be entered into lightly or unadvisedly, but soberly. Marriage should be entered into as a sacred institution, as something that we see as a gift from God, as something that is of his design, and it should be honored by all. Again, it doesn't mean all should be married. It just means the institution of marriage, as God has designed it as a sacred thing, should be honored by all. And he adds this other part, and the marriage bed kept pure. Now, some people have asked me over the years, you know, does that mean that that is a statement about what is acceptable in bed between husband or wife and, and what is unacceptable? But I think really in the context what he's talking about here is that the marriage bed be kept pure because notice the rest of it, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I don't know that it is in as much a statement about some things are acceptable in a marital bedroom and some things aren't. You know, the marriage bed be kept pure, but I'm going to answer that question real quickly, though as much as it is a statement about making sure that we keep sex sacred between a husband and a wife, that there should be no adultery, there should be no pornography, there should be no immorality, that we should understand it as not just a sacred institution, but a sacred gift, the sexual aspect as part of the sacred institution that should be enjoyed as a gift between a husband and wife in the sanctity of marriage. 
to the question of what's acceptable in a marriage bed and what isn't. Uh, and, you know, I get this question every once in a while. It, you can look in the teaching archives through my teaching on Song of Solomon because I kind of handle it that way uh, in, that, in that conversation related to the topic of the Song of Solomon. But I will just simply repeat a statement that I made during that teaching that I think as, as far as like guidance for married couples, for husbands and wives, um, as long as you believe it is honorable before God and both the husband and wife are comfortable with it, then it's acceptable. Anything else other than that is unacceptable. And you're going to have to weigh that before the Lord. Is this honorable? Does, would this dishonor him? Um, are, you, is, are both mutually uh, comfortable with it? And, and those should basically be the two questions I think that should be asked um, in, in a marriage. Again, the emphasis here is making sure that we cherish marriage as a gift and the sexual component along with it as sacred. The other thing here about keep your lives free from the love of money, again, this is not a statement that money itself is bad. It's the love of money. There's two times that the Bible talks about the love of money. This is one of them. The other reference, of course, is 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So it is not money itself that is dirty, because in the right hands of godly people, money can be used as a wonderful thing in generosity and in blessing the kingdom's work and in building hospitals and churches and schools and all kinds of things with philanthropy. If the Lord has blessed you financially, don't think that money is a bad thing. Just always see yourselves, whether you make a lot of money or whether you make a little money, it's all from the hand of God, and we are all supposed to be funnels in a good, generous way. And the, the thing that will break the back of materialism and greed in your life, in my life, is generosity. A clenched fist with God is never anything that honors him. An open hand always honors God. Because it's all from him. I remember seeing years ago this illustration of how they would catch rhesus monkeys in, in the, I don't know where it was taken, but like South America or someplace. But they had a gourd, you know, like a vegetable gourd, hollowed out. And like nailed to a tree, fastened to a tree, and then inside the gourd, they put monkey food, whatever that is, all right, whatever the, whatever the monkeys like. And, you know, because of a gourd, you know, the shape of a gourd is narrow at the, at the opening, and so they just cut a little hole in the opening, hollowed it out, put monkey meat in the middle, and this is how they would catch these monkeys. They would slip their hands, their little hands, inside the gourd to get the, the, the monkey food, whatever it was, and as soon as they would grasp it with their fist, they couldn't pull their fist out. And they didn't have enough sense to, like, let it go and slip their hand out. So they would just reach in, and then they'd be stuck, and they'd be doing this thing, and then, and then they would just be captured this way. And it was just this picture of, like, this is what a lot of people are like. They're, they're like captive to their own greed because they got a clenched fist. And they're like, yeah, you know, more credit card debts. You know, and I, got, I can't let go of my money, you know and, you know, and I won't have enough for my retirement. God will never let the righteous beg for bread, the Bible says. Okay. And you, if you go through your life with a clenched fist, you're going to be captured like a rhesus monkey. Let me just tell you something. But an open hand is always a generous hand that God blesses. So keep your lives free from the love of money. That's a little visual for you to take home tonight. All right. <laughs> Remember your leaders who spoke God's word. This is, it's a little difficult for me to comment on that, seeing as how I'm kind of one of the leaders who speak God's word. So remember me, if you don't mind, um, and be kind to me. 
But there's a responsibility here because look at the rest of verse 7. He says, consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. And so for, for people like me who, who speak the Word of God and, and teach God's Word, um, I have to live my life in such a way that it's exemplary before the Lord and something that in, in all of my frailties you might be able to imitate. Uh, let's keep reading. We're going to get through the chapter here in another seven minutes. Here we go. Verse 9, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Well, within there, I want to point out two others. Number seven, do not be carried away by strange teachings. Uh, the word teachings there in the Greek is didache, meaning literally doctrine. We've got to be careful about strange doctrine. There are str- there's strange doctrine out there, folks. The Mormons have strange doctrine. They will tell you that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Jehovah's Witnesses have strange doctrine. They will tell you that Jesus is the archangel Michael. Muslims have strange doctrine. They will tell you that Jesus did not die on the cross. Judas died in his place. And even within Christianity, there's strange doctrine. You've got to be very careful. Some circles of those who claim to be Christians, who have diluted and corrupted the true essential message of the cross by saying things like, well, it's trust Jesus as your Savior, but you also have to be water baptized in order to be saved. You just nullified the cross. Whenever you add a work, man-made work, some effort to the cross, you've nullified what Christ has done. Or stuff like, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not really filled with the Spirit. Um, There's all kinds of things out there that we have to be careful and recognize. And the way you're going to recognize strange doctrine is by knowing your Bibles. When you know your Bibles, you'll be able to identify what is strange doctrine, what is strange teaching. You cannot know and discern what is strange and false from what is good and true without knowing the truth itself. And I thank God for you because you're here on a Wednesday night because you like to dig deeper and we like to dig through God's Word together, and I praise God for that. But we have to apply ourselves in our own quiet time, too, to really dig out God's Word and to know the truth and be able to distinguish it from strange doctrine. Number eight on this list is continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, which he mentions there in verse 15, uh, the fruit of our lips confessing His name which there are a lot of ways you can worship the Lord, but he's specific there about the fruit of our lips, giving thanks, confessing his name. And so I, I think this is just simply a reference to when we, when we sing, when we give worship. I suppose you can make the argument that anytime you speak well of the Lord and testify, you're, you're giving praise to him, but um, the fruit of, a, of our lips giving thanks to his name is just verbal worship unto the Lord. Verse 16 says, and do not... Forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. 
We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. The last three on our list, number nine is do good and share with others. And he adds, therefore, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Notice, with such sacrifices, sacrifices, God is pleased. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to do good and share with others. Meaning sometimes it won't always be easy. Um, Sometimes it's sacrificial to do good, to go out of our way to do good. It's sacrificial to share. It's a sacrifice to share sometimes. Ask a three-year-old, do you want to share? No. It's a sacrifice. You got to do this. It isn't always convenient. It isn't always you know, easy, but this is what we're called to, to do good and share with others. James 2, 15 to 16 says, suppose a brother or sister is, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? It's one thing to actually say, hey, I wish you well. It's another thing to actually do something about it. And we're told here to do good and share with others. We're also told to obey our leaders and submit to their authority. Obeying leaders and submitting to authority, that's a structure of accountability. And it's not just a structure of accountability for those who are to obey. It's also a structure of accountability for the leaders themselves because he says here in the text that the leaders must give an account. So there's always somebody that you have to give an account to, no matter where you are in the chain of responsibility. But he says obeying your leaders brings joy to them. There's nothing quite as discouraging for leaders and disruptive to the organization and the team than when those who are part of the organization or the team are antagonistic or divisive or disloyal. And not every leader is worth obeying because they might be flat out wrong doing something immoral, unethical, or unbiblical, or whatever it might be. But be a person of integrity and decide to leave the organization or the team instead of staying there in the case of a leader who's not worth obeying and following, instead of staying there and just being contrary. It takes more integrity to just simply say, this is unbiblical or unethical, and so I can't follow this leader, I can't, you know, um, honor this employer, or whatever the situation might be, and so, in some organization or some team, and so I'm, I'm going to do the, the thing of integrity, and rather than stay and just be divisive and critical and disloyal and contrary, I'm just going to go. That would be more honorable than staying and making it miserable for leaders, by just being divisive and critical. And then the last thing, of course, here is pray. He says, pray for us. And it's a good thing to remember just that we should be praying regularly for each other. And he ends by saying here in verse 20, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, we serve a risen Lord, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He closes with a prayer there. That that whole passage I just read there from verse 20 and 21 is a prayer. He's like, he prays that the God of peace will equip us to accomplish his will, that he would work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. He ends by saying, brothers, I urge you, to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Amen. 
The book of Hebrews challenges all believers of Jesus to continue to embrace Him as the only hope of salvation. Too often we can find ourselves trying to keep up our faith by adding traditions back in. No one is saved because of Jesus and something else. It's only Jesus. There's still nothing you or anyone else can do to ensure forgiveness of sin. Jesus took care of it once and for all. And through faith in that fact, you can begin to grow and flourish in God's plan for you, falling more in love with your Savior every day. We're honored you spent time with us here today studying the book of Hebrews on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to more editions of Pastor Gary Hamrick's teachings in Hebrews, you can do so by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or if you're someone frequently on the go, download our mobile app to take these messages along for the ride. What a great way to keep God's Word close at hand, no matter where this life takes you. We'd love to meet you too. So if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary will lead us in another study of the Bible, and we always include time for worship and fellowship. You'll find service times, directions, and all the additional information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today for Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know.